0: in and across Chicago and over the internet, you can make a generous recurring gift by going to our website, urbanvillagechurch.org give. And thanks for helping us with your ears, actions, and dollars to build up God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And now, here's the latest sermon. Hi, my name is Zana. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And the scripture reader today, reading today is from Matthew 14, 22 through 33. Immediately he made the disciples get in on, into the boat and go ahead to the other side while he dis- dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time the boat, battered by the waves, was far from land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and began to sink. He cried out, "Lord, save me!" Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, "You of little faith, why did you doubt?" When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, "Truly, you are the Son of God." The Word of God for the people of God.
1: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It is great to be back with you this week. Um, If you were here last week, I was not, I was home very sick, so it is good to not be contagious anymore, and to be here with each of you, it's um, lovely to be here. Let's see. So if you grew up in the church as I did, uh, you may have heard this story before of Jesus walking on the water and Peter following after him. It's kind of one of the greatest hits of the Bible, and um, I heard it preached on quite a few times, and sometimes it was a, a helpful message. But sometimes it was a little bit of a problematic message that I would receive from this kind of, um, the sermons or the reflections on this text. And I thought about that as I prepared the sermon this morning. I thought about how um, often, the, this is kind of how the sermon usually went that I heard. Um, the disciples, of course, they're on this battered boat and the waves are pushing them around. And... Peter or the disciples see Jesus or see someone walking up to them. And for a moment, for a moment, Peter is the hero of the story, right? He's able to walk out on the water. He's able to muster enough faith or belief to overcome the storm and to walk towards Jesus. He's able to have enough Christian faith to live a good life, right? He's able, but only for a moment, then he sinks. Um, and if you too have enough faith, if you're able to pray hard enough, believe hard enough, not look at the chaos and the problems around you, almost pretend that they're not there, stuff them down, you know, then you can also make it to Jesus. You could be as good as Peter, or maybe even better, because of course he failed and sank, and that was his downfall. And it, it almost was like a, a shaming message of like, when I doubt, it it really didn't hold up for me because in life, I would often have uh, grief and loss, which would bring all these existential doubts and questions. And I I can't do that. I can't almost have to pretend it's not there. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. Almost if Jesus, Jesus was not part or not in this world, this messy world, almost as if heaven was just this place to escape to in the afterlife, rather than emerging the kingdom of heaven around us, like Jesus often talked about. Often religion became this thing of ignoring the world, rather than embracing it, finding beauty in it, and working with God to bring reconciliation and justice in it. And so, I mean, I'm exaggerating maybe a little bit how the sermon was preached, but not by much. Like, that's kind of how I often heard it talked about. And that just never really sustained me. That kind of faith just never really worked for me. And as I look at us here today, I don't think we are here today, I might be wrong, because a preacher told us to try really hard to have faith, to try really hard to believe. And in these uh, kind of sermons, belief and faith were often kind of held as synonymous, and they're not, but more on that later. But um <clears throat> I think we are here because this strange story of Jesus who walks on water, something about the power of his story or these stories, God reaches out to us and invites us to come, like Jesus told Peter in the text today, to come into the waters. In life circumstances that sometimes are unavoidable, God actually shows up in those places. Jesus, surprisingly, is in the place sometimes we last expected Christ to be. Transforming those situations into waters of baptism and new life. So as I reflected on the text today, I kind of found the opposite of what I had been raised to the way to read it. Um, rather than ignoring like the chaos, the waves of grief, of injustice, of pain, I kind of found the opposite. If we look back to the beginning of chapter 14, uh, Jesus just receives really bad news. His mentor, his beloved friend, John the Baptist, has been brutally executed. Like they, they chopped off his head for, for speaking out against the corruption of King Herod. So Jesus finds out this news. And his first reaction is a healthy one. He wants to go out to the desert to pray, to process, to grieve with the disciples. And yet the text tells us that when they go out to this desolate place, the crowds find Jesus and they are in need. And the text tells us that Jesus has compassion over the crowds. It's kind of a theme with him. He has compassion over them. And so he begins to heal and to teach. Time goes on, it gets late, and they're out there in the middle of nowhere. And as they are out there Um, the disciples say, why don't we send them away so they could go back home and buy food? There's no food out here, Jesus. And again, Jesus has compassion on the crowds. And he does another one of the greatest hits of the Bible. He feeds the multitude with the loaves and the fishes. And And then we get to the point where our text started today. Jesus sends the disciples across the lake, go ahead. He dismisses the crowds. And finally, Jesus has his time to go and pray on a mountain, the text told us this morning, to reflect the loss of his friend, to have that alone time that's so needed. And the disciples also have their own kind of uh, tumultuous time, right? They cross the Sea of Galilee. Now, when Jesus uh, sends them across, it's almost like not just a crossing of a geographical location, but there was a crossing, I, I think, the way I read it, of their faith. crossing maybe into greater consciousness. They go through this sea, and some of them were fishermen, as you may know, uh, like Peter, and the worst thing imaginable happens. In the Sea of Galilee, it just turns into a place of chaos. Um, If you've ever seen a picture of the Sea of Galilee, it's kind of like a big bowl. I've never been there myself, um, but I have seen pictures, and there are mountains around the sea, and the way the mountains are situated really strong winds swoop down. And in modern history, there's been recorded waves as big as 15 feet. And so you can imagine the disciples all night being in this little boat, being tossed around, being uh, feeling like they're not getting any, like, any you know, progress. So they are wet, they are soaked, they are tired. It's early morning, the text tells us. However, what makes it worse is that in the ancient uh, mindset, waters there was a lot of mythologies of like there being monsters and sea monsters coming from the waters there was even some mythologies that the waters were a gateway into the underworld like people didn't come back from the waters and they kind of don't sometimes you know um so they, there was some legitimacy to this but more than that it was kind of like the upside down in stranger things and for those of you who watched that netflix series um, you know, they, that's where the Demigorgons live. It was this universe or this parallel universe under ours that you could get sucked into and not come back. And maybe they didn't literally believe this, but I don't know, sometimes I get scared about things I don't literally believe <laughs> when I'm alone or in a bad situation. And so that's how I imagined them. And in the midst of this chaos of their worst, of Peter's at least worst nightmare, that the waters would swallow him whole, I imagine um, his worst fears are coming true, in the midst of this, he sees someone walking on the waters. Now, Jesus walks on the water and says, don't be afraid, it is I. That um, word is I in the Greek is ego eimi. Ego eimi is I am. In, in, the, in the Septuagint version of the Bible, which is the Greek version of the Hebrew scriptures, which is what the disciples would have been familiar with, which is what the audience of Matthew would have known. It uses ego emi, I am, as the name that God gives Moses at the burning bush when God identifies God's self, I am, ego emi. So for Jesus to say this, it's quite significant. Matthew is pointing to Jesus' divinity. In the midst of these troubled waters, God shows up. And throughout the Old Testament, there's actually imagery of God walking on the waters and taming the waters. So this is actually a pretty common theme. But I think it's actually really significant, if we think about it, that Jesus is the ego in me. Because you see, by this point, Herod, with his perverse sense of power, King Herod, who murdered um, John the Baptist, it would almost seem like he's the one who has power over life and death, right? With his military might, with his wealth. And yet Matthew is saying that the homeless Jewish occupied carpenter Jesus is the Egoemi, not Herod, right? The Egoemi was not born in a palace, but rather in the poverty of a manger. The Egoemi, the great I am, is not far removed in heaven or in places of luxury, but joins people in the midst of the tides and finds him there, and transforms that situation. This is Jesus in the midst of the waters. The Jesus, this, this God with us, is the same person that just a few chapters ago in Matthew had to flee with his family to, to Egypt as a refugee from Herod's political torments, like so many refugees have to flee today. This is who Matthew is locating God in. God comes near to us in Jesus Christ. The God that is revealed in Jesus doesn't want us necessarily to ignore the world and pretend life's problems aren't there and just focus on positive and be fake Christians, but rather allows us to embrace, empowers us to embrace the beauty of life and the messiness of life. I don't don't believe God causes problems in our lives, However, in my experience, I have found that sometimes there are really painful situations that we go through, sometimes quite unavoidable. And to my surprise, I have found Jesus in those very places, even transforming them, squeezing good out of them, bringing resurrection out of those places of crosses. And so the very waters that Paul thought would drown him for the first time, as I read this story, I saw them as waters of baptism, of new life. Peter literally goes into the water and Jesus, he says, save me, he realizes his need for God and Jesus pulls them back out. His greatest fear turned into a sight of encountering Christ in a way he never thought he would, which I could imagine, I mean, for me, it would change me forever. It would change the way he viewed life forever. And I think it's okay on those journeys to sometimes doubt, to sometimes rethink our faith as Paul did in the midst of the sea. It's kind of a natural part of life. There's a a theologian and existential philosopher named Paul Tillich, who I don't know actually too much about him, but there's one quote that I like, that he says um, that doubt is not the opposite of faith. Rather, he argues that certainty is the opposite of faith. Because if, I mean, if you think you're certain about something, why do we need faith? Why do we need trust? Because faith really is trust. It's a journey. It's a lifelong journey of trusting God. And in that journey, in that walk, there will be waves, there will be oceans, there will be things that we're afraid will swallow us whole and we'll have beliefs, and we'll have doubts. It's all part of this journey with Jesus. And our doubts help us sometimes to rethink things, to sink and come back again. And that's what, at least that's the way the, the text was speaking to me this week. Because I think, um, I mean, when we go through a loss of a job, a loss of a marriage, a loss of an identity, and I've actually gone through all of those, um, at some point, those things are like a death and resurrection. And I do think that, you know, I pray and I, I feel like God leads me. And sometimes I'm really grateful that the Holy Spirit leads me in ways where I avoid heartache and pain with this reconciliation. So that's beautiful. And sometimes we do have to go through the Sea of Galilee. Like there's no other way around it for whatever reason. Sometimes we do find ourselves caught in the middle of that tumultuous sea that we think will swallow us whole, that we're sure will be the end. But thanks be to the Jesus who shows up and transforms that situation to the beginning of something new, of new life. As I reflected this week on the text and thought about when has this happened to me in my own life, I thought about my divorce, which um, I went through a year and a half ago-ish. This is the first time I've ever, like, shared this publicly besides Facebook, so um, here we go. um, I—for years, even though I was in a very miserable situation, um, and both me and my partner were—my ex-partner were very miserable—for years, I felt like I had to keep pretending and keep, like, my eyes on Jesus or being positive— and kind of stuffed down all the pain, Continue to go to church and be fake, and pretend everything was fine. Um, I kept giving excuses why people don't see us hanging out together for years. Like, you know, just, just keep faking it till you make it. And even though in my head, I kind of knew that that was, I wouldn't counsel somebody to do that. Like, I, I still found myself doing that for some reason, for a long time. And I think it had something to do with a lot of things, but... Maybe kind of that, the ghost of that teachings of like, just stay positive, just keep trying. If you had more faith, if you prayed harder, then God would save things. But sometimes God does lead us to a death and resurrection. Sometimes God could recreate something beautiful out of something really painful. Uh, for years, I, I struggled with even, like, I was the last person to admit. Um, divorce, even though my ex-partner wanted it, even though our like through counseling, it really seemed like we should. And it, it wasn't until I came to the moment where I realized that I had this very strong identity as being a family man. Like, that was who I was. Um, and I thought I would lose that forever. Like, I thought I would just sink into the water and never have that again. Who would I be if I'm not, like, a married person with a kid, you know? And yet... When I went through those waters, um, I came out, and now I'm still a family man, just in a different way. You know, Jesus was with me. I found Jesus in the midst of that storm, and still gave me a new identity—one that I feel we—I feel like we're all healthier and happier now. Now, of course, every divorce is different, just like every marriage is different and every friendship is different. I'm not giving you a prescription. <laughs> um, but I do think that sometimes in our lives, we do have to go through those hard sea of Galilee that we think will swallow us alive. And even in there, I think Jesus shows up. Maybe not to rescue us, maybe not to show us a detour, how we could go around the whole sea. That would be nice. But sometimes Jesus shows up in the midst of it, surprisingly, and transforms it into the very place of baptism. Baptism of resurrection, of going under and coming back out in you. So thanks be to the God that is not trapped far in heaven away from our grief, from our pain, but rather shows up in the midst of it and brings us over and again to new life. Amen.